uh, once again, Zechariah chapter 3. We'll just pick up and read a few verses. And uh, our uh, lesson this evening is is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We looked at the servant passages, and uh, tonight uh, we'll look at the uh, branch passages and the stone uh, with seven eyes, but they're all uh, pictures uh, of our Savior. And in the context, the, the next great uh, thing in God's timing, the coming uh, of the Messiah. So Zechariah chapter 3, and we'll uh, be looking at verses 8 through 10. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed they are men who are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have put before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, every one of you will call for his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Our merciful Lord, we are thankful for these pictures of Christ. We pray that as we look at them, we might see the uh, complex nature and the scope of his ministry and be drawn to him. In his name we pray, amen. So Joshua has received forgiveness. He's received a new garment and the turban, and he was confirmed as being forgiven And then uh, the Lord told him, if you will serve me the right way, uh, then you will bring forth justice. And in a sense, he gave him the picture, you'll end up standing before these people that you see. You'll go to heaven. Uh, And then the Lord said, behold, I'm going to bring forth my servant, the branch. And we looked at the servant passages in Isaiah already. Uh, The servant's ministry is a ministry that's filled of the Holy Spirit. It's a ministry that fills uh, the entire earth. And the the servant passages and the branch passages are uh, multiple rich descriptions uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The uh, branch uh, idea is internal to this prophecy. If you look at uh, chapter 6 and verses 12 through 15, Uh, Zechariah says, Then you will say to him, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold a man whose name is Branch, and he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Indeed, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the splendor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between uh, the two offices Uh, and so on. And uh, it's reminiscent uh, of the other uh, servant passages because the the branch here will uh, uh, bear growth and spread out and build the temple, not the physical temple, but the, in this case, the church, and he'll sit and rule and he'll be the priest. And we've talked about that before. In the, in the context, there's a, there's a prophet, uh, there's a priest, and there's the governor, Zerubbabel. But Those are just pictures and types. When Jesus comes, he will be the prophet and the priest and the king uh, all in one. So we'll look at several of the branch passages. And uh, please turn to Isaiah 
chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 2 through 6. Isaiah 4, 2 through 6. I believe we mentioned this in passing. Uh, this is one of the places where the uh, uh, chapter divisions don't does not seem to make sense uh, because the uh, verse 1 with the seven women who will take hold of one man that really fits with uh, verses 25 and 26 of chapter 3. Your men will fall by the sword and your mighty ones in battle and her gates will lament and mourn and deserted. She will sit on the ground. And the next verse fits perfectly with that. Uh, it doesn't seem like it should be separated. But uh, verse 2 Verse 2, the branch of Yahweh glorified. Uh, Yahweh uh, sends the branch uh, and chap, uh, verse 2 through 6. In that day, the branch of Yahweh will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride, the honor of those of Israel who escape. It will be that he who remains in Zion and is left in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who was written down, for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and rinsed away the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then Yahweh will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her convocation a cloud by day, even smoke and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory will be a canopy and there will be a booth to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and a hiding place from the storm and rain. And in that passage, uh, as you see, there are many uh, images uh, j just in that. But there's that description. Uh, it's the branch. It's uh, sent by Yahweh. There's no other conclusion. He'll be uh, beautiful and glorious. There'll be uh, fruit uh, from his ministry. Uh, the center will be Jerusalem and a holy people. And verse 4, a sin-cleansing picture, which is familiar to us. And then there will be the creation of spiritual glory and uh, peace and protection, just like our passage uh, that ends with uh, people having their neighbors over and, and, and sitting uh, under a tree. The next uh, branch passage is Isaiah chapter 11. And we'll look there as well. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 5. It's interesting in, in this context that the end of chapter 10 is all about cutting things down. Uh, chapter 10 of Isaiah verse 33. Behold, the Lord Yahweh of hosts will lop off the bows with the terrible crash. Those also who are high in stature will be cut in pieces and those who are lofty will be made low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. And then, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, where, does, where does the branch come from? He comes uh, from the, the stem. He comes from what's less, and the branch from his roots uh, will bear fruit. So in judgment, God says everything's going to be cut down. And the branch is going to come from that, that low, low piece of, of wood, in a sense, that's left. Just, just the, the base. Uh, so all that lopping off is the nation's judgment. But here comes 
the branch. Uh, prophesied out of the stump of Jesse, the root of Jesse. Remember, it, it's picturing the line of David uh, at some points in the, uh, in the prophets. They mentioned the father and the grandfather. The passage in Isaiah is mentioning the grandfather because now you realize now you're in the line you're in the line of uh, David. It comes out of what's left, this root uh, or this stump. Uh, all of God's promises in that line comes to pass. Uh, the Emmanuel passage, think of that in Isaiah chapter 7. That was just mentioned. Think of the kingship passage in Isaiah chapter 9. Here's all the glory. Uh, he, he will take the throne of David and he will reign on it uh, forever. Uh, there is also here uh, the outpouring of the, of the Spirit. The Spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees, nor render a decision by what his ears hear. And he goes on to talk about his treatment of the poor and righteousness being uh, a belt around him. Here's the uh, uh, outpouring of the spirit. Uh, the spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him and all those characteristics. Uh, John the Baptist had that testimony. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John said, there's a big difference between me and the one that's coming because I I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandal and I baptize you with water but he baptizes you with spirit and with fire Jesus also knew this in his own uh, self-identification and his own uh, understanding of himself you remember the passage in Luke chapter 4 18 uh, uh, one of those uh, uh, passages that's filled in a sense with tension he goes into the synagogue and he sits and they hand him the scroll to read and he, he reads the scroll and he reads the passage from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, he knew it. He knew that he was anointed uh, by the spirit. The spirit filled qualifications are wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it's perfect qualifications, isn't it? To minister to other people. Uh, and that's what Christ does uh, for us. When it talks about in verse 5, the belt or the girdle of righteousness, it reminds us of the vision that we saw in Revelation uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> uh, there's another allusion to the branch in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And then the, uh, the second to last one is in Jeremiah chapter 23. And... Uh, I decided to do this. I don't usually turn to so many passages. I decided to do this basically that it would pile up in our uh, minds how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is, how uh, incredible is his ministry, and how uh, connected to all these prophecies he is. In, in this post-exilic prophecy, there's nothing that Israel is waiting for except the Messiah to come. The, and... Uh, and here, this is a, uh, an answer. Jeremiah 23, uh, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and prosper and do justice and righteous in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved 
and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called uh, Yahweh, our righteousness. So the, the branch takes on God's name. That's an important uh, feature of that. But God declares it. He's connected to David. He'll reign as king. His, his uh, characteristics are the same. It's righteousness. The, the goal and the result is, is peace. You say, well, this, this world's still crazy, but, but uh, the idea and the idea in Zechariah is that the Christians have peace. They have peace and fellowship uh, one with another. Uh, Jeremiah 33 and verse 15 is the last one. It's very similar. In those days, it's connected to David, and there is uh, justice and righteousness brought forth. The teaching about the branch uh, shows us the clear picture of the rule and reign of Jesus as the Messiah. So we've seen the picture of the servant and we've seen the picture of the branch and now we come to the sign of the stone. The, the sign of the stone. And this is interesting, but there's abundant evidence. There's abundant evidence that this points to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. When we, we come to the stone, uh, John Trapp has an excellent summary. And he says, the stone, another title given to Christ, who is the foundation and chief cornerstone of the church. And another, behold, is prefixed as a starry note or a hand pointing to a remarkable matter. Uh, he, he basically uh, talks about a starry note as if you would see a star in the, in the sky, and that would let you know that's the north direction, or, or the star is, is marking things, or a hand pointing uh, to a remarkable matter. All the prophets pointed to Christ, who is therefore called the branch, the stone. Uh, that in these creatures, physical things, everywhere obvious, he says, as in so many optic glasses, we may see him. Uh, what he's doing is saying, you see branches all the time. You, you see stones everywhere. It's as if as the Lord is saying, here, take these optic glasses. That's just the old English way of saying it. Take these optic glasses and put them on, and, and what are you going to see? You, you're going to see that I've provided a Savior. You're going to see that I've provided a, a, a stone. He says, in so many optic glasses, we may see him and be put in continual remembrance of him. Uh, so Trapp is saying, well, if you look at a tree and see the branch, you might think of Christ. If you look down and you see a stone on the ground or you see a big stone, you might say, oh, I'm reminded of Christ. He says he's everywhere painted in these pictures. We should see him and be put in continual remembrance, it being necessary, as necessary to remember Christ as to breathe. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 uh, is a passage that we'll, we'll follow up with. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone 
of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And uh, Psalm uh, 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief corner. If we turn for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we see the two passages put together, and we see it put together in the spiritual way and not the typical, uh, not the typical way. The uh, temple uh, needed physical stones to be built. It needed a physical cornerstone. Uh, buildings have cornerstones, physical cornerstones. Uh, Peter is telling us uh, there is a cornerstone, but it's spiritual. First Peter chapter 2. Uh, verses 4 through 8. And coming to him as to a living stone, Christ is a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. That's the Isaiah passage. What, what is this stone? Why the picture of a stone? Well, it's a foundation. And Peter says, the stone that I'm talking to you about is choice and precious in the sight of God. It's something that God has uh, picked. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So there's no need for a physical temple. We are the stones ourselves, and we're being built up as a holy priesthood. And then the passage of Isaiah is quoted, 1 Peter 2, verse 6. This is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes upon him will not be put to shame. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. You have the most precious thing, a precious salvation and a precious stone as the cornerstone of your faith. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word. To this stumbling, they were also appointed. You, you see the picture. You see the picture of the, of the stone. To one, to one group of people, you say, well, that stone is precious. To another group of people that they said trip over it they said get get this stone out of the way i'm tired of hearing about this stone i'm tired of being told to repent uh, the the fact that christ has come becomes a stumbling block uh, to them even though uh, god has said this is my stone so the stone in uh, the vision is described as number one set before joshua in uh, representation Number two, it's set before him as a single stone with seven eyes. And then thirdly, uh, we'll look at the fact that God says, I will engrave the stone uh, with its inscription. So first of all, it's set before Joshua as further proof of forgiveness and for encouragement to his task. His sins, his filthy garment are taken away. He's clothed with pure vestments and a turban, and there's a complete restoration. He's testified to or solemnly assured that if he lives righteously, he will render justice in, his, in God's house, he'll keep his courts, and he'll be granted access uh, to walk in heaven. 
He's addressed with clear language in verses 8 and 9. He's told, listen now, or hear now, and behold. It, it is, a, it is a, a language that says, would you listen to me? Let me get your attention. And then God says, look at the servant, uh, the branch, and now uh, behold the stone. There is a uh, significant use of, of stones, and uh, I just would like to re remind us of some of those. Uh, we would be convinced by what we looked at already, uh, that Jesus is the stone that it's being spoken of. But stones were, were used, and they were uh, placed uh, for the, the marking of a significant event, or there was significant placement, or they were put there, uh, for a period of time, and uh, I'm not going to go over all these, uh, uh, read all these passages, but uh, uh, you will see uh, that that's the case. In Genesis 31, 44 through 48, there's a covenant uh, between uh, Jacob and uh, Laban, and uh, they basically say, well, let's take some stones, and we're going to place them down, and that is a, a mark that we made this agreement basically there, you go your way and I'll go mine. In Deuteronomy 27, 5 through 8, God tells the people when they, when they had the curses and the blessings, he says, take these stones and write the words of the law on these stones. And so there were stones that were placed and they had God's word written on them. Uh, Joshua 4, 3 through 10, there were stones taken from uh, the Jordan and placed on the land and stones put in the midst of the Jordan. And that's one of the, that's one of the places where it says, and they were there to this day. Uh, it was, it was, a, it was a, a mark someplace in the, in the middle of the Jordan for who knows how many years. There was a pile of stones that, that where the priest's feet were. And that said, Israel passed over on dry ground. And on the other side, there was another pile of stones. And Joshua says, in the future, your children are going to come and you're going to say, how come there's a pile of stones sitting over there? And you're going to be able to say, God split the Jordan River and we walked over on dry land. And that's a memorial to, to God's uh, grace. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, there's a large defeat uh, of the Philistines, and you remember uh, Samuel has a stone, and he sets up the stone, and what does he call it? Right, Ebenezer, and what does the stone mean? Up to this point, the Lord has helped us, and, and there it is. That stone means God always helped us, and uh, uh, that stayed there as well. Uh, in, the, in the priest's uh, outfit, and uh, this is where this engraving and, uh, and the stone is encouraging to Zechariah uh, also, or encouraging to, to Joshua, excuse me. There is engraved stones of the names of the sons of Israel. So there are stones in the priest's uh, outfit and his garments that are put and set and then put on him. And the tribes of Israel are written on there. Uh, a familiar uh, picture to Joshua to see that God wrote on these stones or told us to write on these stones. Uh, they're all records uh, of God's merciful uh, dealings. Uh, we have the servant, 
the branch and the stone, they're all descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one foundation. So secondly, not only was it done in front of Joshua, but it says a single stone with seven eyes. Uh, the stone is Christ the Messiah. So where, what's the seven eyes? This post-exilic prophecy is filled with the hope uh, that Yahweh's next uh, action is the sending of his son in the fullness of time. And then uh, Romans says, when did Christ die? He died at the right time for the ungodly, the, the, the perfect time while we were still sinners, while we were still lost. Uh, the discussion uh, about the seven eyes just follows uh, right along because the eyes are on the stone. So the number seven is the perfect number that comes up over and over and over again. And only Yahweh or the coming Messiah or the angel of the Lord or Christ can have perfect eyes. So it's, it's his eyes. Well, what do they do? Well, there's a, a passage internal once again, uh, in Zechariah 4 and verse 10. Uh, For who has despised the day of small things? Who, who goes around and says, well, God's not doing much in our day. But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of Yahweh, which roam to and fro uh, throughout the earth. So, so there's a description. So, there's an encouragement for Zerubbabel, isn't it? Because basically what God's saying is, my eyes that look all around are going to be glad to see the plumb line in your hand as you're building up the, the temple. But it's, it's greater than that. Uh, <clears throat> Revelation 5 and verse 6, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. So there's, there's power and omnipresence and, and spiritual power uh, right there. It's, uh, it's Christ looking over his church and watching over his church. Uh, we'll, we'll come to, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll come to a, a side by side, the parallels of, of this passage and, uh, and uh, Christ. Uh, the servant, the branch, and the stone with eyes all point to the Messiah, his ministry and his care for the people, and, and his ministry to all nations. If you remember, how did, the, how did the prophecy start? The first vision was, I saw these riders. And what did the riders do? They just came back from looking all around the, all around the earth. And the earth was quiet, so now it was time to build. So there's already a picture of God's vision that has gone out, that is, that is in their mind. We see God watching over it to tell them, now it's time to build, the to build the temple. We see Christ watching over the church. The letters to the seven churches, it represents the whole church of Christ. What does he say? What does he say to them? How does he address them? Five churches, he says, I know your works. He, his eyes saw what all the churches are doing. How detailed was it? Oh, some of you have done this. Some of you have done that. Some of you have grown cold. There's some of you that have kept your garments and there's some of you that believe this other teaching. He knows every person in every church. His eyes go out and, and look to two other churches. 
he says, I know your tribulation to Smyrna. And he says to Pergamum, I know where you dwell. You, you'd be surprised if somebody walked up to you and say, I know where you live. Who, who are you? I know where you live. Who, what are you talking about? I don't know who you are. I know your tribulation. I know your, where you dwell. He says to all the churches, I know your works. Servant, branch, stone, seven eyes, always looking out, always able. God sent the, God sent the horsemen out. They came back with the report. Jesus Christ looks himself. He can come back with his own report. And he knows the condition of every church and every person. He's the only stone. And his eyes are the only all-seeing eyes. Now, my notes are a mess. But there's, there's parallels all the way here. In Zechariah, they're building a physical temple. They need to have a foundation stone. They need to have leadership. They need to have builders. Jesus Christ is building a church. He's building a, a non-physical temple. Zerubbabel had the plumb line. He would oversee what was going on. He would oversee the building. Uh, Nehemiah came and oversaw the building later of the wall. Somebody was overseeing the project. Jesus Christ oversees the project of building his church. His eyes are over all the earth in the first vision. Jesus' eyes are over all his people. Uh, the foundation is laid uh, physically uh, and typically. You needed physical stones to build the temple, but the, but the temple was only the typical temple, wasn't it? It, it only said something else is coming, something else is coming, something else is coming. The first Peter passage shows us that. It's a living stone. And he's the foundation. He's precious in the sight of God. But what are we? We're living stones built on top of living stones. It's physical and typical, but Jesus' temple is prophetically laid, you might say. It's spiritually laid. God said, I'm going to do away with all this, and I'm going to bring this about. It's prophetic. There's a stone which God says is the, the main stone. Notice all the people that, that we have in, the, in our narrative. Haggai and Zechariah, Joshua with the priests, Zerubbabel, he, was a, he had the signet. He was a, a type of a king, but Jesus Christ is all three. He's the prophet and the priest and the king. Back then, you needed all these people. Right now, all we need is the Lord Jesus Christ for everything. God told the, the, the saints, the old saints, what he was doing. Hebrews eleven ten said he let them know that he was, the, he was the designer and the builder. He was the architect and the builder of what they trusted in. It spans all of history. But what does Jesus Christ say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is the removal of iniquity in, in Joshua and the people. But the, but the ministry of Christ, as we'll see in a few moments, 
it says I'll remove all the iniquity in one day. The, the, the Passover was held once a year. It was that special once a year. And in the time of the Passover in Jerusalem that day, he was crucified outside the city. Not once a year, but once for all. Once for all. Never, ever, ever will anybody have to sacrifice anything more for sins because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ takes away everybody's sin for all time. Uh, finally, and we'll, we'll see that there's quiet and rest. The first group of the, the horsemen, they went out, they saw what was going on in the earth, and they said, everything's peaceful, everything's quiet, let's build the temple. Uh, the passage that we'll look at says that Jesus will bring about peaceful uh, relations. One of the passages that always has interested me is when Paul exhorts the people to be a praying church. He says, pray for everybody. Pray for those in authority and pray for all these people. He says, so that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Uh, that is the result uh, of the gospel. So we saw the sign of the stone. It was set before Joshua. There's a single stone with seven eyes. And now God says, I will engrave an inscription. Uh, the engraved description is interesting because all of the passages that we looked at before, Yahweh told men, you engrave on this stone. Here, Yahweh does the engraving and the writing. And this would be a strong connection to the Ten Commandments. You remember that it said that they were written by the finger of God. When, when God announced his law and gave his law, he said, he said, I'm going to put it there myself. Here, he says, I'm going to engrave this myself. This engraving by God confirms uh, this help to Joshua, but also confirms his authorization of the ministry of his servant, the branch and the stone. I'm going to write on this stone. I'm going to let everybody know, I endorse this. I authorize this stone. Uh, Jesus knew the confirmation of the Father at, at his baptism. God came and said, this is my beloved son, the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Uh, John chapter 6 and verse 27. You, you remember, they, they, uh, he, fed the, he fed the multitude and they followed him. Uh, the disciples went in the boat. They were struggling. Uh, Jesus got in the boat, calmed the storm. The boat was immediately where they were going. And uh, the people looked and they figured out, well, where is he? There, there's, no, there's no boats. We counted the boats. We don't know how he got there. And he said, to, he says, don't labor. Don't labor for the food that doesn't last. Go for the food that, that gets to eternal life. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. That's how Jesus ministered. He ministered and knew the passages in the Old Testament. God has given me the Spirit. The Spirit of God is upon me. He knew that he could tell somebody that God's seal is upon this ministry. I am telling you the truth. And you're to believe in me because on my work, God set his seal. Uh, uh, Daniel in the... Uh, in the lion's den thing, those wicked men wanted to make sure that Daniel could not get out of the, uh, the lion's den. 
and they put a stone over it, and the king put his seal on it. That meant the king says, keep that stone there. Actually, the crooked guys put their seal on it too in, in, in Daniel. But that's sealed. That means the king, this is the king's will. Nobody touches that stone. Uh, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. They said, they said uh, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes or not? Jesus says, well, well, whose inscription is on it? Whose inscription is on the ministry of Christ? The, the picture of the stone is saying, uh, God the Father's inscription is on it. God the Father endorses it. God the Father approves it. And Jesus can say, the Son of Man will give them eternal life, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. The inscription by Yahweh has this far-reaching effect. We can say confidently, as Jesus and the apostles, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. How, how come? Because we know that's the Savior that God sent. He's the servant. He's the branch. He's the stone with seven eyes. And God has set his seal upon him. And then, uh, quickly then, the removal of all iniquity... Part of Yahweh's plan, we saw, was to forgive Joshua's sins and now uh, to get rid of it all. We already, spoke of, uh, we already spoke of the Passover. One day, once a year, the high priest goes in. Now, in our studies in the Hebrews, we remember that doesn't happen anymore, does it? We don't need a succession of priests we don't need hundreds and hundreds of bulls and, and goats and doves and anything. to. We have one perfect sacrifice that's been once for all. And, and, and that's it right there. In that day, I will remove the iniquity of this land. One day, one action. Joshua was, Joshua was uh, happy about it. He was glad. He says, good, now I can minister in the temple and I have God saying in a day he'll remove the iniquity. That's good. That ministers to my soul. But it should minister to our souls that we know there was a day when God took away all sin. And no, notice how it's, how it's said. Uh, I'll remove the iniquity of that land. Uh, I thought it would say this land. I'm going to remove the iniquity of this land, of Israel. But it says that land. Whatever that land is, it's far-reaching. And then finally, and we won't, we won't even have any applications because we just want to look at Christ. Notice the peaceful reign. Verse 10, in that day. There's our in that day again, right? We've seen that over and over. In that day. Well, what day? Well, as soon as the gospel era comes, as soon as, as, soon as that one sacrifice is made, Declares Yahweh of hosts. There's another underscore, isn't it? This is what Yahweh said. Yahweh of hosts. He's in charge of everything. He rules and reigns over everything. Every one of you will call for his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, that's Christian hospitality. Come on over. I got this fig tree. We could sit under it. We're going to have fellowship together. The gospel brings peace. You remember our studies in Micah 5. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Out of you one shall rise. Well, what does he do? 
He becomes the shepherd of everything, and he brings a reign of peace. You say, well, I don't see peace. I don't see churches at peace. Well, you see, you see sin. But if you look in the right places, if you look here and realize nobody is at odds with one another, I can invite anybody to my house at a moment's notice. No problem. Well, not like, oh, we can't have that person. But, but what are we exhorted to do? Love one another even as I have loved you. So that what? So that other people will see that love. What kind of, what kind of way are we supposed to live with one another in, in humble service and, and harmony? And, and we can look forward to that because even in the eschatological hope, what is it going to be like in heaven? There'll be no fighting. There'll be no, there'll be eternal peace. So this passage is just brings to the forefront for all of us uh, the, the marvelous ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and the endorsement uh, by the Father uh, to use these pictures of the servant, the branch, the stone, etc., cetera, uh, to encourage us in our faith. Let's pray. Our merciful Lord, we are thankful for these pictures so rich and full in your word. We are thankful that we have a Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of that day on the cross when he said it is finished. We are thankful that his work of salvation is done. We pray that we always would uh, turn to him in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.